0: Good morning, afternoon, and or evening to all those who are tuning in, and welcome back to the VBMA podcast. In this episode, I had the opportunity to chat with an international speaker, author, and media personality. He's the founder of the Uncharted Veterinary Conference and podcast, as well as the Cone of Shame podcast. Today, you'll learn all about who this individual is and how he got introduced to the VBMA. He talked about his role in acquiring sponsors for the VBMA and how that changed what we were able to do moving forward. Diving a little bit deeper into our conversation, we got to chatting about why it is so important to figure out what you are good at and enjoy in this field, and then to be able to do this over and over again. This conversation led us to discussing that we as soon to be veterinarians or already veterinarians have the ability to do what we want in our jobs, and x name all of those things we don't enjoy. He mentioned that we should define happiness in our expectations, while knowing that in this field there is pain baked into all of it. There is, as he said, joy through the struggle. And I don't want to give away any more information about this episode, so with that, I'd like to introduce Dr. Andy Rourke. You're
1: listening to the VBMA podcast. Hey,
0: how are you doing, Dr. Rourke? Good to see you. Uh, I'm doing well. Good to see you also. How are we, uh, How are things? Good. Good. You know, considering the world is slowly starting to open back up, I'd say things are going pretty well. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I've I heard you. You've had quite a busy day.
1: It's yeah. It's been a day. Uh, it, it's been a day. I just I just spilled my smoothie. It's 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 that kind of day.
0: Oh no, it's a spill the <laughs> smoothie type of day. I
1: know. I was like, oh, my smoothie. <laughs> <laughs> that's a,
0: That's been my day. Yeah, that's okay. I spilled salsa the other day all over my white shorts. So I'm gonna. Oh s- yeah,
1: that's that's the kind of day. Yeah. that's the kind of day.
0: Salsa smoothie days, you know how it goes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely.
0: All right, well, cool. I appreciate you doing this. Uh, this is great. I mean, considering you're one of the biggest pioneers for the VBMA, I figured uh, it would be adequate to talk to you first. Um, I okay. thought that would be appropriate. Um, but yeah, let's let's jump right into it. Okay. So sounds good. Yeah. So you you kind of started, um, I guess, marketing or. For yourself, um, the VBMA really brought a lot of attention to the organization, and I just kind of want to take it back to square one. Where did mm-hmm. it start before vet school? What made you want to join the VBMA vet school, and why are you doing what you're doing now?
1: Yeah, um, I don't, I'm not sure I have real good answers for those questions. Um, I took a course in entrepreneurship before vet school, just kind of as a lark. Uh, I, was, I was in grad school at Florida. I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And so I went to grad school to get a Ph.D. because I want to be a college professor is what I thought. and I got there and met my wife. So it was worth the trip. But I didn't really uh, didn't really love academia the way that I had hoped. I definitely liked teaching. I just realized that teaching was a very small part of what you did, uh, it, you know, in that job. And I was like, well, this is, the rest of this stuff is the majority of my day and it's not fun uh, for me. So anyway, so so I had left and and um, applied to vet school. And while I was a grad student, though, I could take whatever courses I wanted. Uh, and I was like, oh, if there's other things I might want to learn, I can take them for free now. If I can just somehow link them back to my to my study. And so somehow I figured out how to justify that uh, entrepreneurship was useful to a, a zoologist. And uh, and I took some entrepreneurship, uh, this is, this is entrepreneurship course. So that, that's as much as I had going in and in, in hindsight, I'm not exactly sure why I did. It. I think, I think that I thought that I might own a vet practice one day. That was the plan. And so I went there and so I was at Florida go Gators and it was, uh, it was like the first week of class and this guy gets up. So they're doing the thing at the vet school where, uh, you know, all the student clubs stand up and talk about like, Oh, join the canine club or the shelter club And this guy stands up, he's super introverted. Uh, His name is Mike Wong. He's a neurologist. He owns a bunch of neurology practices in Florida now. And uh, so he was a senior and uh, when I was a first year and he stands up and he's just real low key and he goes, so uh, I got this new club, it's called the Veterinary Business Management Association. And it just started. And if you wanna be a part of it, uh, just let me know. And we're gonna talk about business and stuff. And as soon as we were done, I like ran to the library and banged out an email. I was like, look, dude, I know everybody else is contacting you, but I'm your guy. I want to be a part of this. And he wrote back. He's like, no one else has contacted me. And, <laughs> and that was that was my introduction to the VBA. And so I was like, I am. in." I, I don't know. I was just like, yes, I want to own my own practice. That's what I want. And uh, this is uh, this thing is brand new and just open. He was kind of like, I oh, uh, will do. We're going to figure out what to do. And I'm like, I know what to do. And uh, so yeah, I was just totally in there, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, it was kind of one of those things where I grabbed the steering wheel, and nobody really wrestled it away from me. And so I just kind of got to do what I wanted. And he was super awesome, and um, and really gung ho about about jumping in and doing the work. He's he's exactly what you want in a surgeon who's uh, does not get does not get pressured, does not sweat, does not get stressed. He's just just doing my neurology thing. And, uh, and that's how he was when we got started. So he's been wildly successful. Uh, we still, we still talk quite a bit, but, um, he's a, he's a great guy, but yeah, he was the, he was the guy who brought it. He was at the original VBMA meeting, uh, where, when people decided they were going to make it a thing.
0: I was, I was going to say that name sounds, uh, very familiar because I think their practice has the best marketing out of any veterinary yeah. practice I've ever seen. Um, yeah so he knew what he was doing uh, uncharted
1: uncharted members uh so when we started the uncharted uncharted uh group so it was uh, uh, some live events and and virtual community and stuff uh mike and his gang were right there at the very beginning and and he's just been super progressive the whole way but yeah their marketing is real good real good
0: yeah i was gonna say i i don't have necessarily a, a strong interest in neurology but after following the page for so long i'm like well maybe like maybe. Yeah, I, exactly. I shouldn't yeah. i should i shouldn't be a neurologist but i see yeah. that page i'm like wow yeah. that's motivating
1: yeah yeah they, yeah they they do they do great yeah they do great work he they, he's really got a vision so yeah he's he's his practice has been amazing to watch to watch it grow uh he's just he's he's a neat guy um and uh it's called southwest veterinary neurology for anybody who's who's interested in seeing what we're talking about but um yeah, they just got, they got great social media stuff. You'll see Mike, he does some Facebook lives and stuff. And uh, yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll see it, but he's, yeah, he he's really fantastic. And like I said, you know, he's, um, he's attracting neurologists and starting new facilities and, you know, and putting in the guys, you know, like I talked to him and I'm like, you know, I'm like, Oh, I wonder what we should charge for ultrasounds. And he's like, I'm buying an MRI machine. It's my fourth one, <laughs> you know, like whatever, whatever it is, <laughs> it's so next level. I'm, like, I'm sorry, I can't. I don't know what they're to talking
0: to about. It's so, like okay, you get you get an MRI machine for a quarter million dollars and <laughs> everyone's worried about their twenty thousand dollar ultrasound machine. You're like, oh my so, gosh. It is really next level though. It's yeah, yeah. it's it's pretty cool. So you okay, so you joined your board, right? You joined the board because of a very um vanilla doctor, uh Dr. Michael, correct? My doctor, Mike. Oh,
1: oh, so, so, yeah, yeah. So for for the for the chapter, Mike, Mike was just, uh, yeah. Uh, doctor Wong was just he was just get, he was getting the, the thing up and getting going. And so I just jumped in with him. And there were uh, there were there were a couple other people who, who came in who were uh, who were just we were awesome. So we we just had a little group and it was just getting started. And it was the very beginning of the VBMA and uh, you know like literally it's like the first year of the VBMA. And so we just kind of did the, the the basic thing of being like, okay, we've got we've got a little bit of budget, uh, uh, hills had given some money to the national VBMA and they were pretty much like, yeah, you can give this to your chapters. And then a uh, VPI vet pet insurance, um, which is now nationwide, they, they had given some money as well. So between Hills and VPI, you kind of had this budget, right? And so you gave the budget and to the, to the chapters, and the chapters were supposed to take the budget and put on events with it. And uh, it was supposed to be what they gave you was supposed to last for the year. And I got a hold of the budget, and spin it in the first three weeks of the year, and so I spit the whole budget. <laughs> and so then I was like, "Well, this is going to be a short, uh, short sem- uh, semester for us if I don't figure something else out." And so, uh, if there was anything that I kind of brought to the VBMA, I guess this is this is the thing that I would say if I if someone brought something to the VBMA, this is what I this is what I brought. Um, I think I was the first guy to look at the VBMA and at the vet students there and say. I can find sponsors who will support education in this topic, because at the time it's gotten a lot better as far as the amount of business education and communication training and stuff that vet students get. It was, it was much, much, much less, and 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 of course the industry knew that they were like, it helps us to have business savvy veterinarians running their practices because they'll do more business and they'll use more of our products, and this is a good investment. And I could make that, I could make that case and say, hey, look you're making better veterinarians who are going to run better businesses, and they're probably going to sell more of whatever product X is, or they're going to use more of your diagnostic services or whatever it is. But I don't know that anybody had really been out making that case for student groups before. And so that was a thing that I just kind of threw in and said, well, I'm just going to find these guys and shake them down for money so that, so that we can do business education. And I just, I don't know. It was just, it was super fun. And I think there was a challenge to it. And I think I love the idea of getting people to agree to give us money to do this thing. That was awesome. And before you know it, I was like, you know, I was cold calling people, And trying to trying to get introduced to people. I'd wait for like like I'd be at a conference and I would see someone who works for like, you know, for for Royal Canaan. And I would like I would like dive into the elevator. It was as it was closing. So I could just trap them one on one and talk to them. And I had literally doing the elevator pitch, like what what they're like, what floor are you getting off on? Like, I don't I don't know what floor are you getting off on. (laughs) Um and like it was it was it was that. But I just yeah, it was just this it was this fun thing that I just I just love to do. And then yeah, we ended up you know, drumming up a bunch of money to do a bunch of programs and stuff. And then uh, this, the next year was the third year that the VB May existed. And I uh, decided to throw my name in the ring for um, to be the national VB May president. And that was it. And our big push was, hey, guys, I'm going to take I'm going to teach the other chapters how to, how to get sponsorship to support uh, the educational programs that you want to do. And then, you know, and I said, you know, we'll take the national organization and we'll start trying to get some sponsorship at a high level. And, and, you know, Hills, like I said, Hills and VPI had both been there and were both really, really amazing from the very beginning, but we, we really wanted to expand that and try to get resources for, for, uh, for the chapters. And so that was, that was kind of where I, where I got into it. We, um, you know, just happened to be at the very beginning too. So, so we had new chapters coming online. And I think uh, I think I, I sort of got some credit for that stuff, which was had nothing to do with me, but uh, it was just being being early in the organization, growing, and uh, we were very visible. So that was I think that was that was a, a big jumping off point for my career, but it was also just uh, a lot a lot of luck and
0: timing. Yeah, and you. So you were able to cover your, your initial losses that you'd spent in three weeks very quickly with diving into elevators. Oh yeah, no, no, I didn't, yeah. We, I didn't overspend.
1: I just I just ran out, we, just, we were just out of money. So there was, uh, yeah, there was, we were, we were we were, gonna be doing some low cost, some low cost. But we had, you know, we had expenses other people didn't have. And so we had this thing, it was called the no pizza rule. And uh, this came from, um, she was uh, Dr. Megan Wood. She was Megan Megan Stalker uh, back when she was in vet school, but um, Megan Wood uh she had this rule so she's the founder of the of the VBMA of the whole thing and uh she had this rule that uh the other the other clubs all order pizza for their meetings so they have a meeting they have pizza and we're the business club and so we should be better than that like we should show that like that's how we should do this and it's just this thing that you know if you come to the business club we have better food because of how we run our organization. And that was like her thing. And I just kind of bought into it. And I was like, all right, we're not gonna have pizza. And so everybody else was getting, you know, little Caesars two for two for, and we were bringing in chopsticks, uh, you know, Chinese food. And that was just, and now I think the whole, like, uh, the whole vet student group of food arms race has gotten to this high level, but it didn't, at first everyone else had pizza except the VBMA that had Indian food. And people were just like, what is that? And like, yeah, that was, that was, that was, but that was like, that was the big deal. Like that was the thing that we really went hard in the paint uh, to get, to get a sandwich bar.
0: (laughs) I think that's, I, I, that's funny that you bring that up because that was one of the, one of the two first things that I noticed, first thing I noticed, one, was I go to all these club meetings because when you're a first-year vet student, you want to join every club, right? Because every club's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So I'm over oh, here yeah. going to every club, and they're like, we'll give you for pizza. I'm like, okay, great. I have no money. I'm going to go eat a ton of pizza. And then after a mm-hmm. week, your stomach hates you because you've been – Well,
1: pizza. you're 22. You can handle it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: And then I went to the VBMA. And I think they had Panda Express or something else, and they were like, "Yeah, eat however much you want." And I was like, "Listen, I'm going to eat all of this if you don't stop me." And that was that was one. That's funny you bring that up because yeah. I, I remember. Oh yeah. That. You like, like Panda
1: Express? That. If you owned your own practice, you could have as much Panda.
0: As well as
1: we can, we can help you get there.
0: I think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think the second thing that really stuck out stuck out to me when I first joined was you know there's this huge stigma in the field that oh you'll never you're never going to make any money you're going to be in debt for the rest of your life up to your eyeballs you're never going to do okay the culture's toxic everything's terrible and you know for some reason we all still keep going into it because we're like ah it's fine like it's fine like no we don't have to worry about that and remember the first vbma lecture i don't even remember this guy's name but i should and he told me he told everybody. He said anybody that has ever told you you're never gonna you're never gonna make any money has never known anything about business. They don't know anything about practice ownership. They don't know anything about contract negotiation. And from that point on, I was kind of hooked. But I mm-hmm. I also felt bad because my whole college career was me crapping on my fraternity friends for being all business majors. And I was like, that sounds mm-hmm. terrible. And now here I am. That's all I want to do. <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, oh god, write <laughs> all these sorry letters. But you you have taken a whole new twist to fr- sense the VBMA because what you've done with your career and your marketing and how you're able to stay so enthusiastic to students, to doctors, mm-hmm. it just created a new culture. And mm-hmm. I'm like, how do you, how do you keep that culture going? Like, how do you just keep oh. that on?
1: Well, it's super easy. There's, there's, there's two pieces. There's two pieces to it. Um, the, uh, the first piece that is absolutely central and core is uh figure out what you enjoy and what you're good at and then figure out how to do more of it and repeat and repeat and repeat and that shouldn't be mind blowing to people but it but it is cuz a lot of people are like oh no I came to vet school so I'm going to be a vet and I have to do all the vet stuff and I'm like no you don't you can you can do the vet stuff that you like and they're you know and they're like but but no I have to like I don't like I have to do surgery I'm like no you and, uh, I had this lady wrote me an email and so she, she writes me an email. So I get, I get emails from vets sometimes, which is, which is great. I let, like, I, people feel like they know me, which is, which is awesome. And they feel they want to talk to somebody. And so sometimes I get emails and that's, that's fine. And, uh, so this lady writes to me, I've never met her. And she says, um, Dr. Work, you don't know me, but I am, uh, I'm really stressing out. And she says, I, uh, I'm, my husband is moving and I'm moving with him and, um, I am terrified because I get panic attacks uh, around surgery. I don't like surgery. It makes me stressed out. I don't sleep the night before surgery. I just, I'm getting anxious thinking about surgery right now. And when I move with my husband, I'm going to have to get a job and they're going to make me do surgery and it's going to be terrible. And if that, you know, and I feel like I'm moving and I'm going to have this real big strike against me. Do you have any advice? And I wrote back to her and I said, I'm sorry, I believe you're mistaken. Uh, I'm not sorry. I'm good for good news. (laughs) Congratulations. You're wrong. Um, Do you know how many doctors would love to just stay in surgery and let other people see appointments all day? Like, do you know how many practice owners would love to just hand over their appointment spots to someone else and, and, you know, and stay in the back? And they would fight to the death for that. It's not a flaw. It's a feature. And so she's here freaking out because she didn't want to do surgery. Like it's a bad thing. I'm like, that's a good thing. Lead with that. Don't hide that. That's not, that's not like a. Oh, by the way, that's like an opening statement. Like, Hey, I'm a medicine doctor. And, uh, and I'm interested in working in your exam rooms and not in your surgery suite. And like, that's a strong opening position and people will, will flock to that. Um, I tell that story because I think that it's true and it's true in a lot of different ways where people feel like they have to be all things to all people. And you just don't, you know, uh, the, the, you know, if you like managing, managing the staff, work to that, play to that train to that, and then spend less time doing surgery and more time running a staff, you know? And, uh, if you like doing surgery, work to that, play to that, train to that, build that experience, take those workshops, lean into that, get more surgery time, get faster, get better you know, and then you'll, you'll spend less time doing other things, you know, like just lean into that. Like we don't, we don't get ahead by focusing on the things we're bad at. I think a lot of people think we do. It's like you need to figure out how to, um, you need to figure out how to either just bandage that weakness or even better, just divert away from it so that it's not exposed and i'll give you an example you know i'm i'm a i'm an idea guy i i like to do things i like to make things i'm not a, the most organized guy i've built a lot of systems over the years to you know to to that work for me and so i've got at this point i got a lot of systems that work really well but um but i'm still at my heart i'm not an organized guy i'm not a detailed guy i don't like paperwork things like that that are just like the things that are required that i have to I, and so what did I do? I hired an assistant five, six years ago and uh, she's full-time with me and is today. I couldn't live without her, but she's amazing. She has access to my inbox. You know what I mean? Like uh, when you emailed me about being on this podcast, she was the one who probably responded to you and said, sure, he'll do it. Here's you know, here's the schedule. He loves this stuff, you know, and, and bang and got it scheduled and on the calendar and everything. So like, you can do that. That's legal. There's <laughs> not like people like you can't do that. Yes, you can it's not even unethical it is totally legal and ethical and you can totally do it um, but that but but that's the point is you know you want to stay excited you want to stay involved figure out what you enjoy doing and figure out how to do more of it and figure out what you don't like doing and delegate that mess you know get somebody else to do it hire it away or you know outsource it do whatever use use freaking fiverr use 99designs use you know upwork what, whatever you want like just be creative you can get virtual csr's to help answer the phone from afar like it's just you know the the, the possibilities are endless you know my whole staff i've got i've got uh, four full-time employees only one of them is local the other three work across the country and they're full-time for me it doesn't bother me at all they love it they work from home you know like you can, you can you can make crazy things happen if you want to so that's that, that's number one right uh, figure out what you like and do more of it the other the other part is you should always have something that you that you just enjoy working on and i think that that's a lot of it is you need you need to work you, need, you just you need, to be, you need to be tinkering and a lot of people want to just um they're like oh i'm busy or i'm stressed so i can't do these other things and so i'll go back to the vb as example and one time the dean at the vet school kind of pulled me off to the side and he said i was the national vb president and he said you know andy if you spent less time doing this business stuff and more time on your studies you would be a better student and I was like well thanks for the uh, yeah thanks for that I appreciate it uh I think it's going to be okay and um <laughs> and <laughs> that's awesome uh, yeah I mean it was and he was right well he was I think he th- he thinks he's right and maybe he was right to a degree what I would say is I was working as hard as I was going to work on school Like you know what I mean? Like I just I had worked as hard as I was gonna work on school. I think if I had done less VBMA stuff, I would have played more Call of Duty, um, in 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 place of it. Like I think that's where I think that's where my time would have gone is not to like oh my my study would increase. If I did less VBMA, I would have done more uh, other (laughs) other thing. I don't know. Maybe I'd taken up painting. I I don't know. But I wasn't gonna. I wasn't studying more.
0: You're killing me because that's exactly all I do whenever I'm not doing school or VBMA is just not with duty. So you're <laughs> right. really speaking, so if you speaking cut your heart.
1: VBMA down, I don't think you're. I'm spoiler alert. I don't think your your uh, schoolwork is gonna go up. I don't think I don't think cutting down the VBMA is gonna jettison you up to the uh, to the valedictorian spot. And maybe I'm wrong, but. Uh, but for me, that was not that was that was not the case. And so the VVMA was this thing that I worked on that it that made me happy and it made me excited. And I got up and I looked forward to things. Like everybody should get out of bed and look forward to something. And if you get on the bed and you're like, I'm not looking forward to anything, that's a problem. You know, it, it doesn't have to be anything massive, it can be um, it can be the, the social event of the weekend, or it could be that you just bought some new paints and paint brushes, or it could be the CrossFit Open is coming up and you're super into CrossFit. And like, that's a thing. Like I, what I would say to you is being excited about the CrossFit Open is good for your career as a veterinarian. Right. And it's just because I think it's important to have that thing. You go, I'm excited about this. And what you'll find is if there's something that you're excited about and you enjoy doing, you tend to be excited and enjoy doing other things. You know, you really, I just really feel strong with everybody should have it. You should always have a project that you're working on. I mean, it could be like, I'm starting a a vegetable garden. That's great, man. If you're excited to get up and start, start start that damn vegetable garden. You know, and, and and at this point, a lot of people are probably like, "What, what is this guy talking about?" Like, I promise, like that—that that is really it—is figure out in your career, figure out what you like to do and how to do more of it, and figure out what you don't like to do, and figure out how to delegate it away, or just not do it, or just be able to just not have it be a part of your of your sphere. And the other part is you should have something else that you're working on that 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 engages you that you look forward to doing. And I feel like if you have those two things, everything else kind of takes care of itself.
0: I. I think you make a, a powerful point because you, I think that when you say people wake up and they're not looking forward to their day-to-day job, it's because they're they're doing part of what they love. But like you said, they're not outsourcing, they're not delegating, and they're doing all these other things that they hate, which sucks. Yeah. And that sucks. And that's not going to make you excited. You know, that's not going to get you out of bed. I remember I woke up when I worked at an aquarium for free for a whole summer because all I wanted to do was get into vet school. I woke up and I was like, this is the best thing I've ever done. And I would do this day in, day out for free for the rest of my life because I love it. And I was like, oh, this is what I need to find for the rest of my life is something like this.
1: Yeah, so there's two two points I would make to that, right? Number one is the grass grows where you water it, right? The grass grows where you water it. And so if you get up and you go, oh, I got to do these things. Everybody's got to do crappy things. Like, trust me, like we all have to do crappy things. If you get up and you think about the crappy things you have to do, then that's going to set a tone for you and for a day. And if you think up and be like, what am I looking forward to? Like the end of the day, you know, the the end of the day is coming or the end of the week is coming or Friday I get to do this or Saturday, I am going to do this this fun thing. Man, on Tuesday, I will be like, what am I looking forward to? And I'll think about the thing on Saturday and be like, yeah, that's coming, that's going to be good. And like, it's just this sort of North star that kind of guides you. The other thing is there's a story that I like. It's, um so there's a story. So uh, I, don't, I don't know where the story comes from. I just, I tend to pick up stories as I go along. Um, so, so here's this story, right? And so there's this kid and the kid goes to the park and plays in the sandbox. And every day the kid goes to the park and plays in the sandbox. And every day has a great time, just gets in there and just plays and has a wonderful time. And one day this guy comes up to the kid and says, Hey, look, I love watching you play in the sandbox. It, it gives me joy. It sparks joy in my heart. And so I will, um, I will give you a dollar every day that you come here and play in the sandbox, just because I want you to keep playing in the sandbox because it's awesome. And so the kid goes, okay. And so for a couple of weeks, the kid shows up and just plays and has a big time in the sandbox. And every, uh, every day, the guy just gives him a dollar. And so then one day, the kid shows up and he comes, uh, comes into the park and the man's there and the kid walks over and sticks his hand out. And the man says, I don't have any more money, I'm sorry. And the kid says, well, I'm not gonna play in the sandbox then. And I think about that story sometimes. And I do think that when we talk about that medicine, And when we talk about finding joy and happiness, there is something about getting swept up into the idea that this is a job and there's money tied to it. You know, that can take away the magic of just being like, God, I can't believe I get to do surgery and fix this animal and it's going to walk out of here. Like, that is incredible you know, but that goes away when money's start to it. And I'm not, what I'm hearing, I'm not saying, oh, poo-poo your, poo-poo your money concerns. Like, no, you don't need to get paid or to pay that student debt. No, I'm not saying that. Um, But, he, but there is, there is another point to it as well, where I say, you know, money changes things and it's easy to slip into the mindset of just looking at at sort of the dollars and how this works, and just losing the magic and the enjoyment. And so, honestly, what what's really interesting to me is in your story, Thomas, of the um, of the aquarium. Would you have enjoyed it that much if they had paid you? And I don't I don't know the answer to that. You know what I mean? But at that point, would it have become a job? And then you would have been like, oh, I, this is different. I, I I don't know, and I don't think it's really important for 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 our conversation. But I just put that forward as like the real skill i think is to take the joy that you have in things you don't get paid for and somehow hold on to it when you do get paid for it like that's man that's that's the key to all this right if you can have that joy of like your hobby and hold on to the joy when there's money involved. And it's hard to do, right? The expectations change, all those things. But like, there's some, there's something there. The, you know, there's like a childlike wonder about medicine that's really great if you can get it. Where you're just like, I can't believe that people pay me to play with their brand new puppy dog. Like, this is amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah i I don't know. It's that's that's a tough. It's a tough threshold, like you said. I mean, you mm-hmm. gotta. You gotta, I always tell people I'm looking for m- my job. What I get paid for is I want to feel how I felt as a kid on Christmas morning. And that's that is what I search for like that type of joy that I got waking up in the morning. Cause you hear so many people that are stuck in cubicles all day and hate their life. Yeah. And they like, like you said, you should look forward to things, but you shouldn't necessarily live for Saturdays. You should look forward to a few Saturdays, but you shouldn't be living every week for that weekend.
1: No. Yeah. That, that's just, yeah. You should find enjoyment in, in, in what you do. Um, yeah. You, you should find enjoyment in what you do. The, um, my dad always said, you know, the, the, the key is to retire a little bit every day. And that's, uh, I think what he really meant was not, not to check out, but I think it was just to, to continue to do the things that you really like to do. And the other thing is nothing's guaranteed. You know what I mean? Like there, there, none of us have any guarantees in this life. I mean, we just lived through a global pandemic. Um, you know, we were really lucky in that the the demand for vet care went soaring. I mean, man, we, I, when I was just talking to, um, to one of my friends and, and we were visiting together as the pandemic was starting. And she was like, she reminded me of our conversation and we were like, what is this gonna mean for us? And we were imagining a world where vet care demand goes to zero. Because everybody hunkers down and nobody goes out, and you know what I mean. Like no one's going to, inv- they're not going to pay for their. They're going to all be losing their jobs, and they're not going to pay for for vet care and blah, blah blah. And that's what we were imagining. It could have gone that way. Like that could have been it. And then all of you know all of our sweating and worrying about grades all goes out the window because none of us have a job anyway. You know, and it's just none, just none of it. None of it's guaranteed. So you you really do have to have to have that joy. The one thing I would say. I, I guess i'm push back on you a little bit about the the christmas day thing right um when, it, when i have been most unhappy in vet medicine is when my sort of expectations of happiness have kind of gotten out of whack right um and so it, what's funny is you know i look at um I look at the pictures of, uh, of a happiness and what we think of when we think of like Christmas day and like, man, that was awesome. Cause we had like no responsibilities. We come downstairs, there's gifts and like that is ha ah. But the problem is if I take Christmas day and I say, that's what it means to be happy then I'm very rarely gonna be happy. And the truth is with, with medicine, uh, it, it's interesting because there's always challenges and struggle wrapped up into it, right? I never had to fight someone off to get my Christmas presents. You know what I mean? Like I never had to solve Santa's riddle or not get a present and none of my presents died um but that but that doesn't mean that I can't be happy in medicine you know what I mean like that I guess that's that's just sort of my thought there is like it's it's a more complex uh, happiness that we have to look for so the simple happiness is this is amazing look at this picture of me with the puppy and the kitten but you know I um I look instead. so I had this dog that came in uh, a, a couple months ago and they uh, the owners had just adopted this dog like three weeks ago and the dog's name was roscoe and so they just adopted this dog uh mom goes outside opens the door the dog shoots past her into the street gets hit by the ups truck um and so i see this person for the first time their first visit to that was with me and i take x-rays of this dog and his pelvis is broken my broken pelvis multiple fractures. And I had to go back and be like, like, I can't, this is beyond, this is beyond my skills. I'm sorry, it just is. And so I go back to her, I'm like, I can't, I can't, I can't do this. Um, I said, you know, we, what do you, what do you want to do? I can send you to the orthopedist. And I quoted her probably for dollars $6,000, something like that. And I was like, yeah, that's probably what it's going to be. And we talked about it. And, um, and she decided that she was going to go to the orthopedist. So she takes dog the doctor's orthopedist. And then I get this email like a week or two later and she writes it to me and the staff. And she's like, I just want to thank everyone who helped take care of Roscoe. We went to the orthopedist. Here's the pictures of him on his ride home. Here's him laying out in the sun, you know, like it's amazing the care that we got from you all and the care we got from the, the referral uh, facility was just wonderful. And we can't wait to come through and see everybody. And, and he's going to thank you himself. And I go, man, that's far from Christmas day. When you just walk downstairs and there's presents, there was, there was some dicey times there. And, and like, man, I felt pretty crappy looking at those x-rays, but ultimately you come back to this really beautiful, wonderful, great thing. And you go, ah, that's it. And so I I just, the reason I sort of said that about, about being happy is I think sometimes we have to define what happiness is in our expectations. And I think in order to partly be happy in vet medicine, you have to know that there's pain baked in, right? Like what we do is just hard. And, and and it's amazing how that how that kind of works together but if if you can kind of get your head around that idea of the joy through the struggle i think that that's i think that's where it really comes through and you go man i i love this profession at a deep level doesn't always make me happy doesn't you know what i mean like i can get real tired of it but I think I deeply love it. And I think I deeply love it because I've had those struggles that have paid off, you know, and I felt like I've really done something that mattered. It's almost like, um, it's the difference in, the, in coming downstairs in the morning on Christmas day and the difference in uh, finishing a marathon or climbing to the top of a mountain where you're like, this is deeply rewarding and I hurt all over and I'm tired. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's true. I like I like that perspective. It's that's awesome. And oh, I don't know. do you think failure ties into that? I think it does. Huh. Like s- certain failures in in your profession. Oh
1: yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I. I. I think though, so so um, one of the things I had this idea. This is for graduation speech. Like this, this so, so I do graduation speeches at vet schools sometimes, and, and I love it. And but I always take it really, really seriously, which is probably puts way too much stress on me. But but I, like I really take it serious. I'm like I want to say something that is meaningful to these people. And graduation is a really an interesting challenge for me because I go, okay, they are at this, um, at this, this uh, very specific place in their career, right? They're at this transition period in their career. And then I challenged myself. And I was like, Andy, what can you say to these people that will help them or help some of them? Like, can you help them? Um, at least don't bore them. Like that's the first, like the first, the, the lowest bar is please don't, don't be boring. And then beyond that, can you actually do something that is helpful? And so I like to hold myself to the higher standard. Uh, some, I'll take the lower standard if, 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 if I have to, but I want the higher standard. I'm like, can you actually say something to these people that helps? And so I think a lot about that. All right. So, so here, here's what I've been playing with recently. So I was, I was reading this book. It's called Myths and Legends, and it, it's about sort of the the backstory of, of where myths and legends come from. And it's sort of the sociology book and understanding humanity through the myths of various civilizations and things like that. And this guy starts uh, starts talking about um, like uh, ceremonies and rituals in the past. And there's all these ceremonies and rituals where you know um, you know members of a tribe, when they became adults, where they would go and do this thing and they, you know they would be they would be dropped in the forest alone and they could only come back to the tribe if they had killed an antelope by themselves and whatever it is but it was sort of like, but they were like you would starve to death if you didn't do it like you know it was like like you're either in the tribe because you came back with the with the rabbit from the hunt or you're out of the tribe but when you came back you were no longer a child you were an adult And this ritual meant something like like the way you were treated by the rest of the tribe changed and your understanding of what your role was changed in this tribe. And so I think about those rituals and I think about graduation and graduation as a ritual. And so I think that we've gotten away from that in a lot of ways. And what I would sort of like to do, and and I'm, I'm not sure how to articulate this, but I would say, you know, I want to bring sort of this ritual back into graduation to say there is a transformation that happens when you graduate from veterinary school and, part, and, and the big the big reason, the big transformation that I see, right, is as you're going through your training and your education, um, there's this mindset that people have and it is that there's a right answer. There's a right answer and you get the right answer and you get an A and you move on and you get the optimal outcome. And that is what it is, right? Um, when you become a doctor, that is not the way it works anymore. And I think that's one of the big reasons we see burnout and depression in veterinarians and especially young veterinarians is because they think they're still in vet school when they're out in the world and you don't get the right answer in the real world because pet owners don't, uh, pay for it. Like they, 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 they can't, af- they can't afford the diagnostics that you need to, f- to get the right answer. And so people who are like, the right answer is what matters more than anything. And that is how I measure success. And then they're looking at a pattern and goes, I'm sorry, I can't afford an abdominal ultrasound. And then there's this just crisis uh, you know, like existential crisis for the vet, uh, who's like, but I can't get the answer if you don't do that. And I'm not going to get an A on this on this examination through no fault of my own. It's this really painful thing uh, for, for a lot of them. And, you know, uh, failure in vet school, not OK, <laughs> not good. Failure in practice, it's another day at the office. You know, And, and, and that, this is it. it's like cases don't go your way all the time. And that, like, you're not God, you don't get to pick who gets fixed and who doesn't get fixed. And this is not a didactic uh, exercise where you know the answer and thus the answer is done and good and the outcome is achieved. It's not how this works. And so I think that one of the things that's super painful for doctors, especially young doctors, is this a discomfort they have with failure and failure is such a massive part of practice. And so, man, that's, I, I you know, that, so any going all the way back to the, to the graduation speech, I don't, that's not, maybe that's not the most uplifting message for a guy. Like, dude, just tell some jokes and get us to the buffet, Andy. Uh, so I, I, I don't know that you'll ever hear that in a, in a graduation speech, but that's what I'm, that's what I would try to say is great. I'm glad you're here. You need to throw away everything that got you to this point. Because it's going to make your life harder going forward. And what you need to adopt now is we are going to do our best. We are going to work with what we are given. We are going to understand that a lot of outcomes are out of our control and that we are, uh, we are dealing entirely in shades of gray as opposed to black and white and red check marks you know, from vet from school and from undergrad. So I just, I think that that's a massive ship, but yeah, um, you just got to, I I think getting into that headspace is important. The truth is, you know, get comfortable with failure. The big thing is fail fast and fail cheap, Um, like fail as fast as possible. Like if this case is going to be a nightmare and it's going to go down the tubes, I don't want to take twenty thousand dollars is people's money before it does that you know and there's something to balance to balance with that and so yeah a lot of times you you know you you go okay well this is let's see if this works or if it doesn't want to work but um but we need to figure out hey this is not going to work and acceptance uh can often be the biggest superpower that you can have uh and you know, but we learn we don't learn from getting the right answer all that much we really we learn from getting the wrong answer
0: or from having it not work out that's when we really get to be better and how do you when you make a mistake you know you go out into a practice you're you're fresh vet student new veterinarian and you make a mistake you you for you forget to run a panel you know how do you how do you think you should fix those mistakes like how because we as vet students are not good at recognizing mistakes or coming to, coming to a conclusion that, Oh, we messed up. Like, how, how do you think we should go about coming to terms with it? I guess, besides like, besides just acceptance, what do you, what do you think would be a good coping mechanism?
1: Um, I mean, the, the, the big things are, uh, so build trust, build trust with your support staff, right? The number one, the the fastest safety catch for you is having a support staff around you that, that will look out for you and be honest with you. But here's it. Here's the, here's the thing. Uh, they're only going to be honest with you if they trust you. And so what you don't want to do is roll up and start, you know, trying to exert dominance over the support staff, which I have, that, that is a mistake that I have absolutely seen brand new veterinarians make. I, I think it a hundred percent is they're like, I'm worried about them not taking me seriously. And so I'm gonna overcompensate and be a bit of a jerk. Um, You know what I mean? Or I'm gonna show them what I know. And what I would say to you is that's a poor choice in how to play your hand. Uh, What I would say is roll up and show them that you are gonna support them and that you want to be good to work with and you wanna do a good job, but you value and appreciate them and that you are a new veterinarian and you would very much appreciate them sharing their thoughts on how things go with this practice. And also like, hey, if you see anything uh, where I might be starting down the path, I am 100% open to your input and you please feel free to, to share your thoughts. And I will either explain why I'm doing what I'm doing, or I will rethink what I'm doing, you know what I mean? Um, but but I do. That's a flex that I see people make early on as a mistake. So yeah. Um, the first thing is build trust with the support staff, and just be like, hey, you know, uh, I just so you know how I like to work. I like to um, I like to hear lots of different opinions. I know that practices do different things differently all over the world, and I'm sure that the way we do things here is different from how we did them in vet school. And so I am always open to questions, comments, or concerns that you might have. And I would love it if you shared them. And then when they say something to you, you can't be a jerk to them because then you just negatively reinforce the behavior that you asked from them and they won't they won't look out for you in the future. So you got to build that trust. So that, that's the first thing is that. The other thing I would say is on the on the flip side is as soon as you make a mistake, you need to own it. And that is the biggest thing that screws people. Just say it, guys, I am so sorry. I did this. I should have run this panel and I did not run it. And call the client and it sucks, but you should do it instead of not doing it and you know and waiting to see if it plays out okay because a lot of times uh, you end up eating it and they're like why didn't you say this two weeks ago when they were in and you know i thought we did blood work two weeks ago and i didn't hear that his kidney enzymes were all jacked up then why am i learning this now and that's when you have to say oh yeah i know i told you i was going to do that but then i didn't actually didn't do it and then i didn't want to call you so i didn't do it and so i didn't actually get done you don't have that conversation
0: no no that sounds awful and <laughs> that's a terrible this, conversation that sounds that sounds like a miserable conversation yeah, and- totally
1: own it own it own it fast own it up front just own it don't let and it faster don't don't yeah hiding it is 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 the worst outcome ever own it say oops that's my bad um, yeah
0: this is kind of a kind of a good segue. We'll get we'll wrap it up here in a, a, a short little bit, but I'm gonna just ask you a couple of rapid fire questions. Um, okay. Just because you seem to be you seem to be good at those, I've, I've listened to some of your podcasts where you answer rapid fires. I, I like your answers. So, kind of tying into what we just talked about, teamwork. How do you think it determines your success in this field and your ability to be a team player?
1: Um. I, well, in the way that medicine is going, and practice is getting bigger and bigger, it's becoming more and more and more important. Um, you know, yeah, I, I would say I would say that is it. You know, we start talking about student debt and things like that, and how do veterinarians earn an income, you've got to leverage yourself, right? Like, you've got to, you've got to leverage your skills. I, had to, I talked to this guy. And uh, I was doing, I do the presentation and do like a half day on working the exam room effectively and exam room communication and stuff. And, and this guy comes up and he was like, you know, yeah, that was really fun. That was really funny. Uh, the truth is, you know, um, I, I think you, you're telling me to give everything away to the technicians. And, you know, I've been doing all this stuff myself and they're not going to do it. Like I'm going to do it. And I said, well, you know, and this guy had been practicing a long time. And he said, you know, I just, I don't, I don't buy what you're saying. I said, are you busy? And he's like, oh, I'm com- completely busy i was like how busy are you like when do you get to work when you go home he's like i'm, I'm at work at 7 a.m I get home 8 30 or 9 o'clock and i said are you uh you and you're working the whole time he's like oh yeah and i said you're done you know that right like you you can't see more patients you're done and so like what you're creating for your practice what you're generating like you're tapped out like you were capped and so your business is not going to grow anymore period they just can't uh, you're at capacity, you're at maximum capacity. And so when I talk about the technicians, they might not do it the way that you wouldn't do it. You can train them to get them you know, to get them to do it a lot closer. But your two options are that you stop growing and work like you're working now for the rest of your career. Or you, you figure out how to delegate and how to work with your technicians. And you can see 50% more cases than you're seeing right now because you're delegating your work and the choice is yours. And so, yeah, I, I think that, that I think that that's a I think that's a huge I think it's a huge part of it. And the other thing, as I'll tell you too, you know, um, you know, uh, the it's funny, I, you know, I I started off practice with a rather simplistic view of how all this works, right? And um, and uh, one of the sayings that I heard as uh, old business saying, they say, you know, at the end of the day, it really comes down to there's only time and money, and those are there's only time and money. I would disagree with that today. Uh, it's been a little while, but I would say there's four things. There's, there's time. I mean, when I say time is how much time are you off? Like how much are you working? Things like that. There's vacation time. There's uh you know, as, as a compensation measure, there's time and then there's money, but then there's also experience, which is what are you learning? If there's two jobs and then one of them, you're going to learn new things and you're going to pick up new skills and there's another job and you're not going to learn new things or pick up skills. I know which one I'm taking. Right. So there's, there's experience. And then the last one is there's enjoyment. How much do you enjoy the work? The team part is uh, it can make you more money. It can make you more efficient with your time. And uh, training people is also a great way to build experience, right? We learn when we teach. But the last part is working with a team is fun and you can get more enjoyment out of practice. And it goes back to what we talked about before about do the things that you like and you enjoy and that you're good at and do less of the things that you're not. Well, how do you do that stuff if you don't have a team around you or if you don't work with other people? I don't know. Hmm.
0: I like that answer. I hope uh, I hope the people that listen to this take take uh, take that away. I think that's important. I think we like you said, people can get this sort of ego or you know d- power trip when you become a vet and then you, your your cards and you play into teamwork just don't don't go in yeah. your favor.
1: no, no, they, they, they don't, but the other thing is there's a culture thing to it as well. you know I was just talking about somebody recently, you know the old culture of vet medicine is the is the self-reliant vet. And uh, it's a podcast I did uh, with this guy, Dr. Bob Lester. Um, and so it's, it'll be out and probably be, hopefully it'll be outlets this, on this. This one comes out, but uh, uh, we were just talking about, about the surge in workload for vets and what it means to it. He says, you know, the old time veterinarians, the model that vets were built on was the solo vet that drove out to the farm and did all the work by themselves. And they didn't ask for help and they didn't need help. And they did all the work and they went home and that's what it was. And kind of like, that's our history. Like that's, that's our culture. Uh, still uh, from from what it used to be well, it's time for that culture to change but you know there's there's a reason to feel that way and there's a lot of old-time vets that still very much look at that and think that's what a veterinarian is and so it's not just i don't know there's necessarily a power trip some, maybe for some people it is uh there are some people who see themselves as you know having a being a, a, a organizational superior to others and it just goes to their head and that's that's not smart but um But I think a lot of it also is that there's, there's still this cultural idea of the veterinarian as the one who does the things. And the last thing that I would say, too, is the way that we're trained is kind of out of date, right? There's only two vet schools out there that actually have integrated vet tech programs and vet student programs. And so the truth is we get educated as technicians to do all of the things. And so we're not taught how to leverage tech. So what we know is, hey, I've been taught to do the things and now you're paying me. So let me show you the things that I learned how to do. And that's kind of a weird mind twist in itself. You know what I mean? Where you go, but don't you want to see the technical skills that I learned?
0: And they're like, no, we have technicians for that. Yeah, I, I think being a tech before vet school definitely helped with that. Um, and I think people that don't do that before vet school kind of might struggle a little bit more once they actually get into practice but i think that's i think i think that's a great answer um we'll move on to the last question and i i like asking this and if you it's probably going to be a broad very broad question but if you had one piece of advice of advice for veterinary students what would it be um that is a
1: super broad question um yeah that's a super broad question I, i'm going to go back to what we said earlier today just because i think it's um because I, I, I think it all sort of tie back together. Always be working on something, right? Always be working on something. Always have a thing that is that is your thing that you um, that you tinker away on. And so always have a thing that you're working on. And I would say, you know, if you want to take it even even better, even further, I um, always have a thing you work on in your profession, right? Like a thing that you want to get better at, a thing that is you, your interest uh, that, you know, that you can put forward and say, Hey, I like this, or this is where I want to grow, or this is where I want to get better. It just gives you something to focus on and something to kind of, it's like a little fidget spinner, uh, for, for your life. Uh, you know, it's just something you kind of work on, but, and, and I'll hammer on this too. I, I am a believer that we should all have a thing that we do that is not work and not home. And ideally it's something where no one cares that you're a veterinarian. Right. And so it's, it's, it's this third space. It's not the workspace. It's not the home space. And nobody cares that you're a vet. And I think that that is uh, a wonderful tip for mental health and wellness. I think too often what happens is the vet clinic becomes your life and you're at work and you're talking to the work people and you're talking to the technicians and then they're even then you guys hang out for beers and you're still talking about the work thing and you're talking about the thing that happened at work and then you go home and you talk to your spouse and then you go to bed and then you get up and you do the work thing again and over over time like that drags you down and if you don't make some time then then you don't make other friends you don't get involved in your community your community is your vet practice so they say you know and, and a lot of people say that's great I don't know that it is really in the long-term. I think that the better play honestly is to do something outside of the vet clinic where I said, no one cares that you're a vet. Um, I, think, I think one of the things that we struggle with, I think we start to identify ourselves as, as being a veterinarian instead of uh, veterinary medicine is what we do. I think the latter is a healthier way to look at this. Um, it's just like, you know, I'm a dad and uh, I'm a dad and a husband and I do improv comedy. And I work in the yard and I garden and I hang out with my dog. And also I'm a veterinarian. That is a great healthy way for me to look. You know, I think a lot of people are like, I'm a veterinarian above all else. And then people say to you, well, if you really cared, you would do this for free. And your world is destroyed because your self-identity is being challenged. And you're like, oh my God, I am like, this is what I am. And they're right. And I'm going to turn this over. And this is it's like, like, dude, I'm like, this is my job. And, and it's not that I don't love it. But that is that enables me to set boundaries in a much more reasonable and pragmatic way. And it keeps me healthier and keeps me in the game, you know, as opposed to burning out and quitting. So yeah, I, I think you should have a third space. Uh I, I would I really encourage people to have a thing that doesn't have anything to do with medicine that you do.
0: Hmm. I like that. Have have something else to do in totally. And don't, yeah. It, it, people forget it is your job. And I, I respect people that dive all in and it's their whole life and they be, they're super successful and they make the field better. And I think there's threshold for some people. Like you said, it helps mental health. Tinker away oh, yeah. at something, work at something. Oh, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah, well, you don't want to burn out. You know, Like burning out is, is as much about how you rest as it is about how you work. And most of us really suck at resting. And so we, we need to get more intentional about disconnecting from all of this and recharging. And I think
0: that's just a big part of it. Yeah. It's a problem when you're on social media and all you follow are these great vets who do all these great things. So you just can never disconnect. So even when you're not doing school, you're like, why am I yeah. not these people?
1: Yeah, dude, that's a problem. Uh, I mean, that, I, I've wrestled with my own social media presence on that. I, I try hard not to go over the top with this, you know, look at me Uh, sort of attention-seeking social media stuff. And my career is built on social media. I'm not a big fan of it really much anymore. I think that uh, there's a net negative for a lot of this. And so, you know, when going back to what we talked about, what is happiness? And I talked about the dog with the broken pelvis and the hard conversation and, you know, that stuff. You don't see that stuff on Instagram. What you see is people celebrating their successful surgery and the happy clients who wrote the check, you know, for whatever. And you don't see the people who treated a Parvo puppy and the owners couldn't afford anything. So they did this wonky, you know, supportive care uh, at home treatment. Because if you post if you post that, people tear you up and say, how dare you treat an animal like that? And you go, what, are you t- what world are you living in? Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that a lot of the social media stuff, it makes us feel crappy about practice. Or we see vets dancing and, you know, and having fun. And you go, I don't feel that way. I must be doing something wrong. And I just, I, 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 I struggle a lot with that so, yeah, I, I, um, I think social media is, I, I, I think it could be good as far as education and it's great for sort of communicating and it can be good for support. There's, um, there's some negative pieces to, to social media that I, I do think they hit us hard as far as, um, as healthcare providers, as far
0: as animal advocates, and then also as far as veterinarians. Yeah. Uh, I see that a lot with, with your social, social media pages, education. And I, uh i like that a lot but uh i'm not going to take up any more of your time i uh, appreciate you doing this um we'll chat again soon i hope uh, and i'm really looking forward to getting these episodes out there and giving uh giving some students in the vbma or outside of the vbma some insider knowledge
1: well cool well thanks for having me uh if you guys like uh, stuff like this i i do have uh i have two podcasts one of them is the uncharted veterinary podcast and this is all business uh, it's all business and management and leadership and so everything, um, as from uh, when clients complain about money to having hard conversations with technicians to staff drama to uh, to clicks in your practice, uh, is all on Uncharted Vet uh, Podcast. And so you can definitely check that out. The other one is my Kona Shame podcast, which is much more about uh, medicine and very, very practical medicine, and then also interesting topics just about the profession of vet medicine. I just got a, a new episode recorded. Uh, Dr. Lance Rosa, who is a uh, attorney and a veterinarian, and he's also an advisor for the National VBMA, and an amazing guy. Uh, he and I sit down and talk about employment contracts for veterinarians, and uh, man, I got to tell you, if there's one podcast for vet students uh, that, that I've done that I would, recommend it's that one it's going to be brand new it'll be coming up very soon on uh cone of shame but um but yeah before you fire you hire you sign that first employment contract uh definitely an episode worth checking out
0: sweet heck yeah i'm looking forward to it thank you thank you thank you thank you we wouldn't be where we are today without you dr rourke i uh i'm looking forward to uh, see where we go in the future awesome take care guys thanks for having me bye